You're listening to EVH and Gear TV, brought to you by Design39 Media. Visit design39media.com for all your website, photography, and video production needs. Microphones for EVH and Gear TV are provided by Rode Microphones. An official Van Halen merchandise is provided by vanhalenstore.com. And now, here's your host from Ontario, Canada, EVH artist Eric Broadbent. Hey everyone, happy Wednesday to you all. Yes, I'm saying Wednesday, it's an irregular time, but a very special time for a very special reason. EVH Gear TV, we are live, and I'm joined by the uh, shred sensation, Mr. Paul Gilbert. Paul, how are you? I'm doing very well. Good afternoon. It's nice. It's very nice. And we see you, uh, you've been a good boy. You've been drawing some in between the lines back there. What you been working on? Well, I have a chalkboard wall. This is a studio where I shoot a lot of the videos for my online school. Okay. And uh, for the longest time, I had the uh, standard issue blue, you know, lightly textured background. And I, th- I thought it might be cool to have a, a chalkboard because then I can do different things if I want to draw a chord diagram or something. As it turns out, I haven't done anything. Well, I guess there, there was one lesson where I did some music theory stuff, but mostly I just draw amps and drum sets and flags and you know, that kind of thing. And I let my, my son comes down. He draws monsters. Very cool. I like that. I could see it being very entertaining for videos. That's great. And obviously helpful, but entertaining as well, too. I just got to keep the chalk dust under control. I can imagine. Yeah, you could be covered under her. That's really all I have. (laughs) That's fantastic. We already have our first super chat over here in the chat. Uh, Django, good buddy, says, thanks for producing us. You rock. Well, thank you. The thanks are all to Paul for taking time out of his very incredibly busy schedule. Um, I got to ask you just to break the ice a little bit, uh, getting into this, we're going to have lots of great guitar discussion and obviously some performances from you too, or else you wouldn't be holding that guitar. And I hear some tubes warmed up in the background anyways. Ah, there we go. Awesome. Thank you so much. (laughs) That's wicked. But do you really seriously have a problem with people on turn signals? Oh my goodness. Well, I used to live in the Hollywood Hills and, and people were always trying to find the Hollywood sign. And you, you can't, you're not supposed to go there. It's, it's sort of got this, you know, barrier around or something. You're, you're not, you're not really supposed to go and, and put your hands on it. But people would like park on the street looking at their GPS or their map or whatever. And I'm assuming, you know, I can't guess their motivation 100%, but there was just always somebody, you know, I'd be trying to get home because I live there. And somebody just sit in the middle of the road with no, they're not moving. There's no turn. So it's like, are they going to go? Are they going to turn somewhere? And so I don't know whether it was, I'm, I'm guessing it was just because of the particular location I'd lived. Because even, you know, I'd go out and mow my lawn. Well, it wasn't, I didn't have a lawn. I had, uh, I'd, I'd go out to, you know, water some plants or something. And there'd always be somebody with a German accent going, well, how, how do you find, how do you find the Hollywood sign? And so uh, that was, uh, you know, first world problems. But a lot of people, you know, I just and anything after a while becomes Chinese water torture. So yeah, it, it it does, and I consider myself well. Actually, no, I don't consider myself a patient person at all. But everyone thinks I'm <laughs> everyone thinks I'm patient. Oh, you have the patience, so you know of a saint, whatever, blah blah blah. And you get me behind the wheel of a car, and seven seconds, I'm I'm a, I'm a nasty person. Um, I'm yelling. I'm like just I'm not you know raising a finger or anything, but I'm like come on, you know. And it does make you uh, short tempered very quickly. Well, that's, I'm in Portland, Oregon now, and you know, so far today, I've been on my bicycle to the coffee shop, I've walked to the the pizza place and to get lunch, and I haven't been in a vehicle yet, so all all's good. <laughs> okay, well, that's all right. I can't, I can't walk 55. There you go. And you know what? Just like anything in life, is I mean, guitar. We can look at guitar that way too. As much as we can all sit there and race and and play and and do all our, whatever it is we do. 
there isn't no race in life. You don't necessarily have to race to get where you're going in the car. And take your time with guitar as well, too, and eventually you'll be up to speed. All right. Metaphors are always good. There we go. Listen, we're going to jump into some really cool... No problem. We're going to jump into some Van Halen theme questions for a brief moment. Obviously, we can't get away without getting some uh, VH knowledge from you. But how old were you when you first heard Van Halen? What was it that you heard, and what did it do to you as a guitar player? Well, the first Van Halen that I heard was actually filtered through the through the hands and ears of my uncle. Okay. Uh, my, my uncle was and still is a great guitar player, and uh, one day he came over to visit, and he picked up my guitar, and he did this. You know? <laughs> And I thought, wow, my uncle's pretty cool. You know, that, that's a that's a cool thing he came up with. Yeah. And and then you know a couple months went by and he mentioned to me he said you know you probably really like this band Van Halen you know you should check out their their record and so I bought it and I heard that I was like hey that's my thing my uncle was doing but of course you know it completely you know blew my head off anyway and uh, you know it was just it, it, it changed the world you know there's there's, there's those milestones in guitars like you know Chuck Berry Jimi Hendrix. Uh, first Van Halen album, Ingve, and I don't know if there's been anybody since then. You know, that's that's really, you know, maybe Ingve a little bit. And uh, after that, we got to you know, go go back to our roots and we're just playing our our, uh, our slide licks. Exactly. Um, there's first of all with eruption, a lot of the guests that I asked the question here on the show, um, there's only been a few people that have said eruption, and that is kind of. I think as a guitar player, you'd hope to be that be your song that you heard Van Halen because you're getting that wow factor right off the get go. Uh, for me, it was uh, um, um, oh, incredible rock. I had to think for a second, and that's not even one of my favorite songs today. It doesn't it, like, but I'm thankful because it was how I was introduced to Van Halen. But coming in on Eruption and the fact that you said your uncle uh, was already learning it, so there's there's some d- deep musical talent within the family. Well, definitely, his name is Jimmy Kidd, and he, he's stunning. Um, you know, during that time when I was around eleven or twelve, I had you know, a small record collection. Um, among the records was, of course, the first Van Halen record. I was also uh, I listened to Frank Marino mm-hmm. and Mahogany Rush live quite a bit. And the other, you know, the recording that I listened to wasn't a record; it was actually my uncle's band's, you know, board tape that he made for me just to cassette off the board. And his vibrato and phrasing, you know, it's, if I, I could, if I played it for you, you'd go, it sounds like you, you know, that's where I got, that's where I, you know, I got the, any soul that I have is from listening to that. And of course the other guys, you know, of course, Eddie's, Eddie and Eddie and Frank are dripping with good stuff too. That's right. Yeah. And that's the thing. You listen to that all these years and it's, you know, it surrounds you. You can't help but uh, play it. And that's one of the things like, with Eddie Van Halen too, where some guitar players have it, some don't, is that feel. You almost have to be thinking without even playing. You know, but feeling too. And the rhythm factor is something we're going to talk about later on in the segment, but it's something I know you profess really important, having a drum background, you know, keyboards, things like that as well too. Rhyth- rhythmic knowledge is, is is key to us as a, as a musician. Well, it's a, I, I do so much teaching, and as when you get into teaching, you realize that there's certain things, just because we're human beings and we have got eyes, we're visual creatures, the visual stuff tends to be easier to teach just because of the nature of 
what we are. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe if we were dogs and we had, you know, super smell, you know, we'd, we'd learn, you know, we'd like acoustic guitars cause they smell better. Yeah. <laughs> but we're not, we're humans. And, uh, and so it's, it's really hard not to be in a way thrown off by the visual aspect of it, or just to have stuff not emphasized enough that that's really much easier to hear. And, uh, Rhythm is one of those things. It's 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 you know it's, you can see pitch in a way just because the instrument. You know it's it's uh, if you want an A note, hey there it is. You know you know what it looks like. It's right next to that dot, <laughs> and uh, so you've got a visual clue as, as to what the note is. But you know where what does the end of two look like? And in a way, you know if you're a good reader, you can. But that's a whole. I mean, I'm not a good reader, and and you know, that's not the sense that that I use to, to perceive the end of two. Um, and, you know, and the people who are great at it don't necessarily even need that kind of language. It's just something they feel. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the, a lot of the feel stuff, I've, I've figured out ways to, to teach it and communicate it, but it's not, it's, it's hard to do because it's, it's, because it's not using the eyes and, and it's, and in a way, you know, it's, it's, it's sometimes it's just using the body. Mm-hmm. You know, I always make everybody stomp. So, I mean, to me, a great and of two, I brought that up, but, but just by out of coincidence, like the, the accent ain't talk about love, where it goes, ah, ah, ah. Mm-hmm. Now, that's meaningless unless you have uh, the pulse that, that it relates to. So you got to get Alex Van Halen going on in, in your, uh, you know, where's his snare? <laughs> the snare is on two and four. One, two, three, four. So the and of two... One and two and one and two and and that's so, so it'd be one and two and three and four. So the main axes of that are one, the end of two and four. And that's a language that I learned from going to school. You know, I didn't I didn't know about that particular terminology until I'd been playing, you know, not eight or nine years. And you know, certainly you can you know, all the greats, hardly any of them use that language. Just because I'm a teacher, it's, it's mm-hmm. nice to have a way to verbalize it and, and in a way give somebody a fighting chance. If, if they don't have the instincts, that's the whole thing. That's the most important thing I can do as a teacher is to help people build the instincts. Because you, you can't, you know, in, in real time, you get on stage, you're not going to be thinking or counting. And, and you, know, you can't. It's just going by too quick. I know. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so you have to have good instincts, but if, if somebody doesn't have them, then I've got to find a way to like, you know, if they're, if they're not hearing it, I got to figure out, well, how can I make them see it or feel it or some other thing? And hopefully eventually they will hear it because that's where it really works. That's it's very well said. It's, the way I look at it is uh, like people that are into photography. Some of my fans here in the chat are, are uh, photographers. And, you know, I was never a photographer until a few years back and, and I, I've really adapted to it. And you go outside with a portable viewfinder, you start looking at the world in a different way. You know, like you're seeing now the world for the first time. You know, architecture, you're seeing landscapes, you're seeing lines that just you never saw before. That could be the same thing as you. People can people can play some chords on the guitar. They can play some notes. But until they, they are kind of blessed with the, uh, the sudden knowledge, okay, um, now I feel this. I'm feeling something, too, as I play, or I'm feeling it before I play, right? Yeah, and then there's other things. I mean, just thinking about... Van Halen, which I can't help because you've got an awesome Van Halen logo on your shirt. Thank you. <laughs> is uh, and and also I've been thinking about this a lot lately. Is Eddie is always vibrato ready? Yes. And then not just with the whammy bar. He did that's that has nothing to do with it. It's his left hand. No matter how he lands, he's ready to shake it. 
And a lot of players, like I don't, I don't know where it came from, but a lot of players these days are like thumb behinders, is what I call them, yeah. where the thumbs behind the neck. And it's really hard to be vibrato ready when your thumb is behind the neck, because that's just a, a weak position for vibrato. And you know, there may be some players who are exceptions to the rule, but overall, if you look at the the Van Halen generation, what he came from, mm-hmm. and what what he is, and it's it's thumb over. You know? And that's that's just the way you get power and control, and and so you've got to be able to, to basically have that ready to go all mm-hmm. the time. And he really does; like he just never ends with this. It, it's always it's always ready to go, and that's so nice. And a lot of players like this, are, you know, they'll go and then they got to readjust or hit the whammy or. And it, it, it just, you know, that's, it's, I get all passionate about it because, you know, coming from that era, not just Eddie, but just, you know, just about everybody in the 70s, with the exception of maybe Steve Howe and Robert Fripp, um, you know, they had the guitar relatively low, which allowed the thumb to go over. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it looks cool too, but really the, the, the purpose of the low guitar is to get the thumb over. So you, so you got some grip. And so you're vibrato ready when, you know, no matter what, where you are, you're just ready to shake it. I think so. I think that's a great statement, and I think there's four guitar players I'm going to say right now. Uh, one very much older, and then obviously more modern. And this is like you're one of them. So yourself, Joe Satriani, Eddie Van Halen, and Jimi Hendrix. I've always watched you guys with the thumb over the neck, and I've adopted that because not only does it help with vibrato, Woo-hoo! yeah, uh, for sure, but also it, that becomes a nice fin- a finger for some chords. You know, reaching over, and it's amazing what you can do with it. Yeah, it's great for chords. I'm trying to think of. Uh... Some band. I mean, the the D chord is the obvious one. But, um, what's the. Uh... I'm trying to think of a star. Yeah, I know. I might finger it with a. I don't know if I'm using the same fingering, but I use the, you know, I use the thumb for hang them high. Yeah, exactly. And actually, more like, modern Rich, Van Halen. Rishi, Rishi Blackmore was a huge thumb over guy. You know, you know, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, and uh, what else is thumb good for? It uh, well, just good good for a mute. Okay. Yep. String. And uh, and just good to you know the, the kind of like Hendrixy the I'm gonna tell you something. You keep working out. You're gonna be a good guitar player one day. That's my goal. Okay, keep at it. I think you're you have it in you. Before I, you know, before I leave the planet, I want to do one like blues solo that blues guys will like. Oh, there you go. Okay, and that's a hard one, isn't it? That's a hard. <laughs> there a hard. There may not be any any left, but if, you know that, that they would like if they were around. You know, I want. Uh, I would love to get like a, a nod from Johnny Winter if he was still around. Yeah. Or, uh, 
Oh, wow. And they're still, you know, I, I consider Angus Young to be, you know, top level, awesome blues player. You know, and uh, you know, I'd love to get a little, a, a, a right on eyebrow from from uh, Angus. That'd be cool. He certainly does it. I mean, he's running across the stage, full tilt, still doing. He's kind of like an Eddie, only in a different style of music, slightly. You know, running the crazy, playing riffs at the same time. I know you can do it. There's a very few guys that can do that kind of, you know, pat your head and, and pat your, you know, or chew gum and read at the same time or whatever, right? <laughs> Well, I'm I'm too tall to do a lot of the tricks. You know, I, don't, I don't bend that easily. I remember in the day, I would, like in, the, in Racer X, you know, I would try to do the the Eddie. Oh, flying know, Eddie, flying the, Eddie, yeah. The, the one leg one way, one leg the other way, and up. Yep. And and you know, this was before cell phone cameras, but occasionally <laughs> someone would videotape us, and I, I saw myself doing that. It was like, uh, I better. I'm, not, I'm just not built for that one. Yeah, if someone that's six foot four, I'm you know, I, I think it's more for the shorter guys. Yeah, or just people that can bend. Yeah, exactly. Strings, but I can't bend my legs. So. Hey, so it's it's a poor sacrifice you have to make. You you might look a little unfashionable doing some uh, some aerobics or aerobatics, but on the fretboard, we're pretty impressed. So we'll we'll let you stick with that. Yeah, I just do the spread. There you go. Okay, that's safe enough. Let's talk a little bit about some folklore. This is always a fun thing here, too. You know, I'm not a, um, a conspiracy theorist, although I like sometimes to read these things just for fun, just to see what some crazy people are talking about. Uh, but when it comes to Eddie Van Halen, you can put some conspiracies in there, and you know, okay, so is Marshall's modded. No, it's not modded. I modded it. No, I modded it. It wasn't modded. It was stock. Uh, here's how he got eruption. He did this, and blah, blah, blah. All this mystique that follows him, uh, do you find that fascinating yourself, uh, but one, about the guitarist, and two, um, like any kind of comments you can say about that, this is a mystery that, and a lot of times Eddie forgets what he even did himself, so that even adds further to the folklore. <laughs> yeah, well, first of all, I, I did use, um, or I, I had the honor of having uh, Rudy Laren, uh, Eddie's you know, the original guitar tech, do a Mr. Big tour with us. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, you know, the day I met Rudy, I was like, "Hey, you know, I'm going to lay, I'm, I'm going to lay off you today, but as the tour goes on, you know, I'm, I'm going to ask you some of those questions." And Rudy said it was stock. Wow. He said, he said it was just, you know, cranked up in stock. And I, I used to be much more like at every record I would do, I would get out Van Halen one as the reference, and you know, try to, you know, EQ it and, and just get it exactly like that. And uh, at some point. I just stopped and, and just went, you know, I just want to get what, what I just want to get something that feels right. I think what it might've been is I started bringing a, uh, like a pretty bad sounding, but convenient practice amp okay. on tour. Uh, it was like this little orange or even before that, it was like one of the cigarette battery powered things, yeah. which just sounds terrible, but, but it's convenient. It's small. You can fit in your suitcase. And then I had the orange one. And neither of those, I mean, it, it can't, so nothing that big sounds any good. No. But, um, but it, it would amplified it, and it would, did have some distortion. And what it made me realize is, like, you know, with this kind of sound, about 30% of my stick does, just doesn't work. And, but the stuff that does work will work indestructibly with any, other, with any sound. So, like, I found, like, when I played kind of like Leslie West, you know, if I did my, uh...
they just play you know really meaningful rhythmic things mm-hmm. it sounded pretty good through the through the horrible sounding amp yeah which is kind of miraculous like i could i could by making good choices with my playing i could make a bad amp good and i thought I just want to have a lot of that all the time because you know when, when you tour, you never. You know, a lot of times we don't bring our own amps. You never know what you're yeah. going to get. Yeah. So it's nice to have these kind of indestructible things that are just always, always going to be cool. For sure, and that's the thing. If you can, that, it's almost like writing a song on an acoustic guitar or piano and translating it, even if it's a metal song. Eventually, um, if you can, if you can make it sound good in a little tiny little, you know, little canister. It's going to sound good on a, a larger amplifier through a PA, through fidelity, through headphones, all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, wicked. But, well, what it ended up doing is it, it it made me start to experiment with different kinds of, of pick attack. Okay. In, in, in terms of the sound, because like when when I was trying to imitate Eddie, I always wanted like a real sharp, defined. You know, you could do like if you, I mean, actually, the Phase ninety helps that. You, it does. you turn that on and you go like you know, go do your. Uh, you know, that's that's you can't have a lot of bass. Mm-hmm get away with that because it's just too thuddy nasal mid-range yeah it's, it's so it's, it's got to be pretty sharp to, in order to get that and that's that's valid and sounds great but it i found when i when i have a sound that's that sharp i tend to kind of overpick and you know you the sound influences you and so i got a couple of overdrive pedals that tend to be a lot more there's, there's a lot more bass attack like <laughs> I'm going to turn the phase shifter off so it's more bit. And when you dig into it, it's sort of, it's got this, it's this bigger, wider attack. Now, that might not be a sound where I want to play super fast picking, mm-hmm. but if I want to just do like, you know. It's really satisfying for that. It is, what? and so you know, right? Like right now, I've I've got uh, I just built a little pedal board because my 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 touring pedal boards in storage. We're getting ready for the next tour. Okay. So I built a little you know Plan B pedal board, and I've got one, two, three, four overdrive pedals on it. Wait, can just because they all they all feel a little different. Yeah, let me hold you right there for a quick second. I want to hear more about this board. And here's a question that pertains to that from the chat. VK Axman says, "Question for Paul," uh, and I really want to hear about this little board. Um, cause sometimes these, these fly boards or like the small boards can have some real gems on there. Uh, looks like you're using two Marshall JVM amps and a Mr. Big, uh, raw like sushi video on YouTube. I was wondering what distortion and or overdrive pedals you were using with that rig. Can you remember that? So I'm going to, it was a Mr. Big raw like sushi video. Mm-hmm. That's on YouTube, I guess. And what do you know what, what year that was? Don't maybe he can comment. But he said, I, like what 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 hair was it? Was it long? <laughs> or yeah, maybe he can come back and you can answer that in a minute. In the meantime, you can continue to tell us about that board. Oh yeah. So uh, well, let me let me show it to you. Okay, I, I think I can lift it up. Okay, great. Let's see what we've got. Oh, it's it's connected to something, but I'll, I'll unplug that for a minute. Okay. Okay. We'll power off. There it is. What we've got, we've got MXR Distortion Plus, which is a fairly, I've talked about a sharp sound. That really helps the, if I want something to be easy to pick, mm-hmm. I'll press on that because it just sort of sharpens it up. 
the, the phase, the phase 90 script with the LED so I can tell that it's on, uh, even though if we wouldn't want to get your plugs jammed in my ears. Yeah. And that also helps the sharpness. Uh, the Supro Drive, which is a lot more, you know, big, thick, kind of Leslie West, you know, the bassy kind of thing. Um, and then the, um, but the nice thing is if you, if you put the MXR into this, you kind of get both. So that, that's, that's the thing is depending on what order you've got, if you turn both these on, then you kind of got thick and sharp at the same time. Oh, that's neat. Yeah. And uh, th this purple one or pink one is a, what is that, a Karma Suture by uh, Catalan Bread. That's in a way similar character to this one, but it's just kind of got its own thing. And uh, maybe a little more sub-low kind of attack. And, and a little, you know, kind of retro fuzz in its own way. Uh, it, you know, it, it sounds it sounds like your amp is about ready to explode sometimes in, in a good way. Uh, and then the uh, the Mojo Mojo, which is my go-to, just make a clean amp sound like Malcolm Young. <laughs> and, uh, and then I've got a, a, a reverb or a delay and a reverb, uh, both TC pedals. So this is a uh, Alter Ego, which is really set kind of like Eddie Van Halen sets his you know, Echoplex back in the day for that little bat down. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and then the uh, Arena, a brand new one, which I guess this is the same, the same as their other Hall of Fame reverb, but it just has some different presets in it. Right. And I like it because it's black. <laughs> and, uh, the, 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 the Voodoo Labs, I've got the, the logo covered up because I've got Velcro on it just in case I wanted to Velcro something else on top. Okay. And uh, and it's, this is, of course, the... Um, the, the Superboard 3000. Oh, that's great. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. And store soon. <laughs> well, that's that's so... Sometimes you have to do a carne, like when you travel internationally. Yeah. And you've got to put serial numbers for everything. And I, I thought, you know, I don't even know what the serial numbers are because I cover everything up with Velcro to get it mounted on the pedal board. And, and so I just thought if I just name... And give a serial number to the pedal board itself, then yeah. I don't have to go through and, and you know do a s thing for each separate thing. That's too much. It certainly makes a heck of a lot of sense. And another super chat over in the chat. Thank you, Richard Henry. That's very kind of you. I appreciate that immensely. Um, what I want to talk to uh, talk about quickly, and then I'm going to have you if you're if you're all plugged back in, which it sounded like you were. You've got some backing tracks. You're going to do some jam. And so after I ask you this question, let's let's have a little bit of a segue into some riffs and some uh, some whatever you've got for us. But um, when it comes to notes, note choices. Now, first of all, I want to go, just, I'm going to go back for a quick second to uh, go over what you said. I like the fact how you're talking about how you know doing some Van Halen riffs. You know, a certain effect well is a different sound, a, a different you know. So we're going more mid range when you're getting the the phaser it helps you for those kind of things. So a certain effect pedal can also emphasize some note choices. If you're sitting there doing some crazy shredding and it had everything just you know mids completely scooped and everything, you don't hear it. So be aware of your pedals and what they can do for you. Uh, not necessarily always changing channels but certain pedals may either help you or hinder you correct well the the one thing about having so many uh overdrive pedals is i can run the amp totally clean and that's right. my noise gate mm -hmm. you know instead of having a, a, a noise you know everything on all the time and then having it gated i just you know i i normally if i'm not playing i only have the mojo mojo on because mm -hmm. that's a, you know uh sort of standard rock sound yeah and if i need some more you know i'll hit something else and that might make it a little hissy like if i if i turn the mxr on the super on not I too bad you can hear that but that's you know it's got some hiss yeah and you know that'd be you know, like in between songs that'd be kind of like hey you know too much and of course even if it's 
kind of fire breathing even at this quiet bedroom mm -hmm. blind minute right now. But you know, as, as long as you hit it while you're playing. Yeah. You know, so I'll never get that harmonic again. <laughs> you get you know, a lot of sustain, and it, it feels right. Yeah, it's certainly a lot, a lot easier than going back, running back over to your amp if you can access it on the stages that were depending on where you're playing. Turn the gain back. All you got to do now is you've got too much. Step off. Turn one of four distortion pedals off, or two or three, whatever it may be. You're not getting enough. Boom, boom, boom. It's easy. I love that. I love that. Yeah, good way. Good way to do it. And of course, the volume control, you know, can do it too. And that's the way. Mm -hmm. Like Eddie does a lot of this stuff that way, where he just, he just rolls the volume back. I'm, I mean, that's my other noise gate. Really, is yeah, fast with the volume. And isn't it funny where a lot of people don't realize how good their guitar can sound quieter? Because you, you, <laughs> you hear beautiful that just warmed up. To, like I mean, obviously it's cleaning up a little bit too, but it's almost like you went through another preamp. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just from that. Yeah, I'm, I'm always messing with that. I mean, with you know, with with a loud band with Mister Big. I don't get to do that that much, but my own stuff, when I'm doing Hendrix covers or, or that kind of stuff, I can do it a lot more. That's right. And speaking of covers, this was my question I was going to go to next. So where a lot of kids, like sometimes some of the guests I'm talking to on the show here, they start playing guitar in their, their mid-teens or you know late teens sometimes. You were playing clubs when you were 15 years old, you know, probably sneaking under the radar or getting someone to look the other way when you would run in with your gear. And, uh, you know, it, it, no one asks any questions. You're there to do the job. You get it done. Yeah. But that's probably where, obviously, a lot of your, your cover repertoire, every, everyone knows you as a guitar player that knows a million covers. I think that was probably had a lot to do with, with that. You can correct me if I'm wrong. And also, I imagine probably you pissed off a lot of guitar players that were twice your age on the circuit, <laughs> you know, back in the day. Well, it... Um I definitely learned a, a ton of songs, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, I just wanted to. It was sort of the the more exciting version of air guitar. Right. I, right. I, I, before I ever played real guitar, I played air guitar. I you know, put on you know live Led Zeppelin album and, and pretend I was Jimmy Page, and then it, you know it gets to the point where you can play a riff and you and you can you know take take get it one level deeper, and uh, and still now you know I mean I. I continue to expand what I'm, what I'm interested in, mm -hmm. but, um, you know, I, I, I'd love, I, I, I mean, there's a certain satisfaction to writing something, but, but I'm, I'm much more driven to, to learn from, from the, my heroes and, um, and to, to develop, to let that help me develop my vocabulary as a musician. So if I do write something, I've got more things to pull from. And, uh, so really after, you know, when I was a teenager, I was learning guitar music. Yeah. You know, so you know, UFO. I mean, probably if I had to pick one song that I played more than any other when I was a teenager, not a well-known tune, but it was from the um, UFO record after Michael Schenker left the band. I think it was called No Place to Run. George Martin, the, the producer of the Beatles, actually produced this record. And the first song is called uh, Letting Go, and it, and this is the riff. One, two, three. <laughs> pick scratch in it and and that, that was the riff and i for whatever reason it just my, my band sounded good when we played that and so we would just play it over and over again it's just like man we listen to this we sound good and it was like the first time i sort of had just a group of people and we would groove and of course had, you know had a spot for a solo and i had you know, no way i could play the solo that was on the record mm -hmm. which was kind of cool because that was almost every solo i couldn't play and 
you know, it, like when I think back to the cover tunes I learned, I would hardly ever learn the solo because it was usually somebody like Eddie or, or you know, these amazing players. And it was just uncopyable. Right. So I would learn something very useful. You know, what key are you in? Mm-hmm. You know, and the pentatonic scale and maybe a couple of blues things. And, you know, you'd learn to bend it and, you know, you have your two fast licks. And, and that would, you know, sort of stew for for years and, and and then you know it gradually becomes something of your own and uh that, that to me that's one of the cool things about the rock players of the 70s and maybe now too i'm not as familiar with new players but to me back then everybody who played athletically you know, who had some fast stuff none of them had the same stuff exactly you know, if, if you listen to neil schoen's fast playing it's really different than eddie van halen's fast playing certainly is. and that's really different than ingbe's fast playing and that's really different than gary moore's fast playing and that's different than michael shanker they all had really recognizable burning stuff but it was all really homegrown and it had come out of a combination of their own particular physiology with their hands and bodies and what they were into and what works for them and uh you know i don't know with 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 the um prevalence of, of you know educational materials now yeah if it's i don't want to say it's too easy to learn stuff but i, I think uh I, and again, I don't know if i'm even right but i'm guessing that there's a lot of players that sound just like john petrucci yeah 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 i think it's best possible i'm not 100 percent sure because there's 900 people teaching how to be, do it that might be more the case now than it was you know everybody sounding a particular way back then uh so, you know, it's here, here nor there. I mean, it, it really, I, I don't know what my point is with that. I guess my, my point is that you just play a lot and enjoy it. Yeah, it, for sure. But I, I really like that. I think that makes you very, very humble. The fact, too, that, you know, you want, you said you'd want to do all these solos and you couldn't. So you did your own thing. And I, I just want to have people that are watching this show that might discover the video after the fact or anyone that might get down on themselves for thinking, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to be the next Eddie Van Halen. I'm not going to be the next Paul Gilbert. No, you're not. You're going to be you, which is going to be awesome. Um, but don't get discouraged. Paul just said it himself that he struggled with some of these solos. So look where Paul is. You can be there as well too. Just never take, never take a failure as, as, or something you can't do as failure. It came, became your greatest strength. Well, you know, obviously I was, I was young, so mm-hmm. it's a little easier to not get discouraged when you're young because you have that excuse. Right. Exactly. You go like, Hey, I'm, I'm 14. I'm not supposed to be any good yet. <laughs> but, and, and then I, I, I started to discover little things that, that if I if I could play them with the same authority mm-hmm. that the original guy could, even if it's a little different, I mean, to me the best day of my whole guitar life was when I learned how to play. <laughs> and just getting that and being a guitar teacher now, mm-hmm. that's that's more challenging than than you realize. You know at least from, from my view of the guitar community mm-hmm. to do that with authority is, is pretty rare. There's a pull off in there. Most people don't have the pull off the strength quite together. It's more of like a, just leave the string rather than pull it off. I mean, that's what the problem. Yeah. And you really got to have a snap to it and, and the, and being able to land that note vibrato ready. That's so rare. You wouldn't believe it. So, um, it's actually made me value even more a lot of the a lot of the what you would consider to be basic stuff um, because I'll you know I'll, I'll I'll teach it and I'll go like wow this is people really struggle with this and of course if they if they really struggle with it it's my fault as a teacher because <laughs> I haven't figured out how to help them quick enough right but I'm doing my best 
some of the most simplistic things, like things that you were thinking, like Jimmy Page, some of those solos were thinking, okay, those are those are pretty simple. But when you analyze it, and just like you're saying, bends, knowing where to land, it's almost like going to jump off a roof and you're picking your safety spot where you're going to go. Um, Eddie's even said it many times before, too, when he would do eruption. And I've said this on the show, when you go to play some of the tapping part of it, the, the, the very descending part at the very end of the solo. And he, he said it, and I've said it. It's like falling down the stairs. You're going to fall. It's just you're, gonna, you're just picking which stair am I going to land on? Am I going to go down all the way and break my ankle, or am I going to recover myself halfway down? And it's just, okay, you ready? Here we go. Pick your landing spot and ho- hope for the best. Yeah. And when Eddie lands, he's vibrato ready. He is always. I know he's like that cat on the feet, right? Yeah. Yeah. Very well said. If you've got your backing tracks ready to go, why don't you give us a little taste or t- maybe tell us what it is that you're going to play for us? Well, I got I to explain this a little bit because I'm not going to be good at it yet. Okay. All that's right. Little, that's always a little scary. Okay. Now, this is one of the new things I'm working on is is um, growing up with with heavy rock, there wasn't a lot of harmonic adventure. You know, usually it was like one or two keys. And as long as you had your you know, Dorian blues together and maybe some natural minor pentatonic, you could kind of get through anything. And lately, uh, from playing, from trying to play blues and trying to really make the changes happen, mm-hmm. where, you know, when you hit the one chord, there, there's certain notes that are nice. <laughs> And then you hit the four chord, it's just different. It's not the same note. And then back to your one. And then your five. And the four. So to, to know the fretboard like that was not something that I could, could do in, in my teenage years. I mean, I, I might have, I, I had some good feel and I had some fast stuff, but I really didn't have the fretboard knowledge to navigate a blues. Now every, you know, every song's got its own thing. And what the blues has taught me is, is to kind of chip away at the scales that I learned when I went to GIT. Okay. Because I might think, oh, it's a major chord. I'll play a, a major scale, which has seven notes. Way too many sure. notes <laughs> than you need for, for, for blues stuff. And so I've, I've gradually, as, as I've studied this stuff, I've come up with, you know, what are the best ones? If I don't need all seven, which my ear tells me I don't, because when I hit certain ones, it's like, ah, that's just something's not right with that. You know, Freddie King wouldn't play that one. Um then I, I, I start to develop this vocabulary of the ones to emphasize. And uh, and to test myself, I'm going to do my own arrangement right right now, ladies okay. and gentlemen, of uh, Mercedes-Benz, which is the Janis Joplin song. Now, of course, when she sings it, it's just vocal. There's no chords. So I came up with my own chords. And I'll show you those real quick. I do an E major. And then I do an E7 with a third and a bass. It's kind of a cool chord. Then uh, your A, which is the four chord, back to the one. Won't you buy me? And then up to the five chord, B7. And then I, I do something kind of tricky. I go to the C minor, or sorry, C sharp minor. And then a chord inversion, which is E major, with B in the bass. 
descending bass line, then an F sharp seven with the third in the bass, A sharp, and then an A minor six, which has got some really cool melodic minor possibilities to it. And then a, an A sharp diminished. And then back to your E over B. And then an A over B, which is the chord of the 70s. How deep is your love? And then <laughs> back to your E. So I'll, I'll play that just so you can hear the rhythm. I'm going to turn my... I'll turn my phase 90 on to, to get groovy. One, two, here's the rhythm. trying to play over and then i've got to navigate that i can't just stay in one key okay I mean, maybe i could a little bit but it's gonna sound nicer like i'm actually know what i'm doing if i play from like you know e major to the seven and then to the um the a back to major C sharp minor, E major, F sharp, and then that crazy A minor six. Diminish. Let me put that all together. One, two, three. than I'd like in there. Okay. I'm going to get it to the point where I can really feel all of it the more I practice it. So I'm having really a good time with that. It's opened so many doors and I'm excited about it as you can see because I can't stop talking. That's perfect. Bubba James earlier in the chat says uh, that you're you're not so good at what you're kind of preparing us for. As you said, is better than most records out there. So that's very, very nice compliment. <laughs> that is, that's pretty, that's absolutely amazing. <laughs> Let's talk about some compositions. Let's talk about your most recent release, which I think was 2016, right? It was uh, I Can Destroy? 
Yeah, I think that was it. Okay, and then you got the the crowd uh, the crowdfunding campaign come out. Let's talk about the release current though for now. And I liked I liked I made a note of the one theme. It's uh I love anything I can destroy from the title track. That's pretty cool. So tell us about uh, that record. The, maybe the the uh, writing process going into that one and uh, what fans can expect from that if they don't have it. And then let's jump further into the uh, pledge music campaign, which we have the links in the chat and down below, and how people can contribute to that and what you're expecting. Yeah. Well, the. Uh the writing process, the the really the the secret that I discovered is that you have to make yourself enjoy it somehow. Okay. And that's that's for me anyway. That's a lot of times a hard homework assignment because mm-hmm. you, you, you you can. It's easy to have this philosophy where in order to accomplish something, you've got to work and suffer and 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 do things that are that are hard. And it doesn't mean it's without effort, but I've I just found whenever you're you're putting in the effort and you're actually enjoying the effort, chances are the result is going to be something that that's going to be enjoyable by, by everybody. Where if it's like, oh, I just can't wait until this is over and I can go do something else, you know, that's that's when you know you're, you're kind of barking up the wrong tree. So the, the, the trick is to kind of search until you find something where you go like, you know, it just puts a smile on your face when you when you think about it or you can't get out of your head or, you know, you, you, you sort of look for that resonance with with uh, with what you're what you're working on, and you know, for, for me and, and maybe a, a lot of people of my generation, you know, I mean, rock and roll began as this rebellious thing that you do in your garage, you know, with your teenage friends, and it has a certain, uh, you know, certain theme and attitude and and acceptable subject matter that you would write about. Mm-hmm. That uh, mm-hmm. that as a fifty one year old. I, I I might not feel it would be <laughs> it doesn't resonate as much. I mean, actually, when when I was first starting out, I, I, the the lyrics I was writing were more about like what was on the back of a cereal box because that was my daily experience. Sure, I wasn't of course. Like, I wasn't a rebellious teenager, so I I didn't have any of those experiences to write about. I'd rely on the singer. So when I'd write a song, it would be you know, you know, I got some free French fries from the back of the cereal <laughs> box. You know, that kind of, that that was my life. Yeah. Um, but now, you know, I'll, I'll rant about turn signals and the um, the, the latest album, the, the new album I'm working on will, will more than likely be all instrumental. I still actually write lyrics for it just as just because they, they happen yeah. and they they inspire me. So even if I end up replacing it with guitar, they'll, they'll, a lot of times there will be a lyric. And actually, if you, if you go to my Pledge Music site and, and even get the, you know, the lowliest pledge where the 10 bucks or whatever that is, you can you can see the full video uploads I've been doing. Oh, nice. And I'm, and I'm showing the tune, you know, I'm, I'm showing my songwriting process and, and uh, playing a bunch of the songs and, and they're, they're pretty, I'm, I'm proud of them. I, th- I think they're, they're, uh, they're, they're funny and emotional at the same time. I mean, they're, 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 they're sort of, uh, well, that's, I don't know if I can say it better than that. They're, no, that's I, good. They're, they're really, they're, they're from the heart, but at the same time, they're kind of funny. And, and the melodies to me are some of the best melodies I've done. So I think I'm tapping into something good recently. So it just it's better with with age, I guess, right? It just maybe is, is that. Do you feel that better with age? I think. So. Well, I'm, I'm making so many discoveries, and really, the one of the main ones is that I I always thought it was the job of the singer to be the one who who carried the melody. Okay. Because you know, the because the when in the era that I grew up. Um, I, I mean, Eddie Van Halen was my favorite guitar player, but he wasn't 
and, and he had an you know, impeccable melodic sense, but that wasn't like the, the part of his style that was really emphasized. He was kind of doing like blues on fire. Exactly. You know, Clapton just, you know, Clapton times a thousand. Where to me, if I think of the, of the melody players from that era on guitar, it'd be like Boston. Right. You know, da, 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 you know, stuff that's singable. Where it's not easy to sing Eruption. No, it isn't. Yeah, and and it's still great. It doesn't. It's 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 its own thing, but because I was so into that, it made me not want to be a singable guitar player. I just I didn't think that was cool, or I didn't think it was exciting. And maybe after touring with Joe Satriani, we did a, a G three together. That he had me had me on, and uh, I had that DVD by seeing the way. how 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 great he is as, as a melodic player. I'm gonna make sure to plug it all the way. Yeah, it is. Um, uh, and, and just starting to realize my failings as a vocalist, because I always thought like, oh, well, you know, I'll, in my solo band anyway, you know, I would, I would sing the melody. And I started to really come to terms with the limitations of my voice and realize, you know, I just, I don't, I don't have a McCartney or a Dio or a Halford, you know, that, that equipment is not in, in my body. I don't, I don't have that sound. And, uh, but on guitar, I've got, I've got a fighting chance of getting a melody across. But at the same time, it is a different skill set. Mm-hmm. And so actually, one, one of the things that I do now, I, I, I just try to take all the melodies that I know. Because I you know, grew up, before I was a, a guitar player, I was a Beatles fan. So I've got all the Beatles catalog in my, in my head. And I think, well, I know those songs. If you gave me a kazoo, mm-hmm. I could palm you any Beatles song without any practice. I wouldn't have to like go, wait, give me 10 minutes. i got to work on it. It would just come right out. And I thought... I really want to be as good at the guitar as I am at the kazoo when it comes to melody. And that's, that's a big task. It is. Cause that's, cause that's not how I learned. And, and so now I'm starting to learn, sort of relearn the fretboard in terms of being able to see it melodically. And so if I take, I mean, I'll, I'll try it now. I'll, I'll, you know, chances are I'll screw some of it up, but I'll, I'll try to think of a song that I've never played on a guitar in terms of the melody. Um, but that I know and that I might be able to, you know, play without having to, you know, play with the same fluency that I would with a kazoo, which is never going to happen. But <laughs> see, if I pick a Beatles song like, um, actually, I think I played this, but. Uh, and then to have the bass note. be able to put those two, you know, just have the bass note and the melody. Okay. You know, I got it, but it, it's just <laughs> like, you know, like walking through, through, through molasses. Yeah. It, it really is a lot of brain work. And with, with the kazoo, I'd have, a, you know, I would have had it a minute ago. So, that that's sort of my goal is to be able to to visualize because you, know, you can if you know your chord tones i mean most of that was was you know just playing a third or a fifth or a root of the mm-hmm. chord but to be able to find it and again to be vibrato ready because if i want to do a convincing performance of it i can't just hit it no you know, it's it's not like running the bases and okay I, I hit first base so i'm safe no you got to do it with style it's music so <laughs> And on, on on a single notes, I can I can have a little more chance of being vibrato ready, but I'd, I'd like to get the bass note in there too because it's just so satisfying. It is. 
that's one of the best things about being a musician is your your own radio. Yeah. You know, whatever song you love, you, you pick it up and you play it. The way you said it, by I mean, it's one thing to get a bass hit or a double, or whatever. But I mean, do it in some style. You go in there with a the slide, you know, dirty up your uniform a little bit. You know, it's do it in style. Well, the uh, yeah, the, 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 the actually speaking of gear, it was my new invention is a slide magnet. Yes, Andrew Bonica from Line Six wanted me to ask you about that. You showed it to him at the uh, recent show. Yeah. Tell tell yes, us about it. I, I got a bunch. Of, I put some. Well, I had my guitar tech um, mount guitar or mount magnets inside the the body. Okay route out a little track in the pickguard and you just get a you know a, a steel slide and you you um it, it's pretty strong because I, I, you know occasionally I'll, I'll accidentally hit it when i strum and i don't want it to go you know fall mm-hmm. off on the floor so it's um it'll withstand a you know pretty good hit and unfortunately the, the finger that i use is my second finger which which is pretty easy to, to get to it yeah that's and, great <laughs> What's the Van Halen one? The um... Take Your Whiskey Home or Could This Be Magic? Dude. <laughs> Dirty movies for you there. That's perfect. Lights, camera, action. So it's very easy to pop back on there. That's awesome. I got to ask you a quick question because this is uh, from Django Amadeus O'Connell. Super Chat, $10 says, a question for Paul. Uh, having achieved master status, what does your daily practice routine look like today to continue your growth as a musician? Well, in terms of you know the, the, the word practice, sort of infers like, you know, what scales you run over. And I, I'll get, um, what do you call it? What's, what's the right word? Uh, bitter, maybe is the right word. <laughs> or really unhappy very quickly if I had to like run scales with a metronome. That would just be like torture. Mainly because I've got a musical instrument in my, in my hand and I want to get to the music. And I've, you know, hopefully put in enough time where, where there's not a lot of, you know, sitting there going, you know, just be the most dreary assignment so um i mean i get a lot of my practice from from actually doing the lessons for my school because every lesson that i do what i do is i listen to the student and i try to think like what is what do they need most urgently because they can do a video to you right they send a video to you so they, they send in a video and i watch it and and from listening to them play which i always encourage them to do i i it's pretty it's usually pretty obvious you know, after teaching, you know, doing 6,000 of these, I can spot pretty easily, okay, this guy, you know, he, he needs whatever it is. And so I'll come up with a phrase that, where the phrase, the only way the phrase is even going to work is to use whatever technique I'm, I'm going to try to show him. So even if I didn't say a word and I just said, just play this, um, he's going to learn what he needs to learn. And I always practice what I preach, which is I count to four, I stomp my foot, and I, and I play the phrase, and you know, it's, it's based around a little musical thing that if they, if they just play it, they're, they're going to they're gonna be cured of whatever, 
whatever musical technical ill they've got. And so that, that helps me too. You know, I'm sitting there all day stomping my foot, playing in time. And, uh, you know, I'm just trying to leave an example of one. If I, um, a, a big one is to be able to play a muted note, which if I, if I did that with my mouth, be, and then answer it with a note that's not muted. So it's, and, and that's, you wouldn't believe how rare that is. You know, from people, it's, they've been messed up by pricing scales where everything is the same. And in expressive music, not everything's the same. It's really nice to have that flow of muted notes and short notes and long notes. Even if they're all the same value, I mean, even if they're all eighth notes, you can have a staccato one and a legato one. And that, and that, bound, that having an instinct and a technique to make that happen just brings a, breathes life into it. So, for example, uh, I always, a lot of times I do stuff that's shuffled. Mm-hmm. Uh, shuffles that really helps. So I might do something like uh, one, two, three, four. That's, I hope I made it seem easy and, and, and obvious, but that's rare. <laughs> it's perfect. It's like same, 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 and, and not swinging. And so you know, that kind of thing is really helpful to, to people and, uh, and helpful to me. I, I get so much time. You know, the teacher always learns the most, so I get a lot of benefit from that. Oh, yeah. Besides that, I do just try to connect to melodies. So, you know, today, this morning, I was practicing. Again, I'm not any good at it yet, but uh, I was trying to get the melody to Blackbird. Yep. The, uh, was it? Where is it? And there's, you know, I'm not playing it as well as I was this morning, but there's, there's little slide tricks in there, and if you learn them, they're so cool. And the, uh, of course, that's you got to know that's coming. Sassy. That's because that's a big, that's a big shift. Gotta be ready so for it. Stuff is, that's really interesting to me because that's I, it's a horizontal way of looking at the fretboard, and it's not going to sound the same if I went, you know, if I did it like that. The note's there, but it's not as expressive as, as that. So that's the thing. I'm always trying to find the expression exactly. and play more like a vocalist because I, you know, fortunately I'm a bad enough singer where I've got to do something about it, and that's something's going to happen here. That's good. So that's Pledge Music. You can contribute their artist work. So you've got your own uh, instructional thing there, as you just mentioned, where people can submit videos. And I was looking at the pricing of it. We don't have to quote the pricing right now, but I mean, the pricing is very affordable. It's uh, more affordable than what people are going to expect for sure. Something that they can jump in. Uh, they can uh, have access to you uh, pretty pretty much around the clock as for the, for the duration. I love that. There's a comment over in the chat. I'm going to ask you two last questions. We're going to let you go. Uh, and I told you this was going to go by fast. Uh, Cameron Brown is a, an incredible shredder from over in Ireland. You may have seen him on uh, Instagram. If not, look up Cam. I think it's Cammy B, but he's always playing the Strandberg guitars. You'll see that. The kid's amazing. Got to see him. He loves you. And he says, hey, Paul, I'd like to thank you for all of your music, your lessons and everything you do. You've inspired generations of guitar players and will continue to do so. Uh, we'll uh, love to jam with you one day. And I'm not sure if he posted his Instagram 
uh, channel, but I think it's Cami B, uh, something like that. But just look for Cameron Brown. You'll see him. Look for the, a lot of the Strandberg guitars. So the last two questions I want to ask you, um, number one, more of a, a statement first, but you've been a real champion for Ibanez guitars like from the very late 80s, and that's really cool when you see someone, yes, exactly, you know, Joe's done the same, pretty much the same thing too. Steve's been a champion. There's obviously something great about Ibanez guitars, but um, what is it that's th- that's been like family for you since day one, pretty much, and why is that? Well, it uh, when I joined them in the in the like mid to late '80s, mm-hmm. uh, their their position in the guitar community, and there there were the big you know established Gibsons and Fenders. And Ibanez was the kind of like the number three. They were kind of the biggest uh, company, but they had they had established their reputation with copies in a way like you know like a musician you you learn your copy songs first, and then you then you know, later on you learn to write. And Ibanez got their reputation by making Les Paul copies and Flying V's and Explorers, mm-hmm. called Destroyers, but it was basically a, a, a Explorer copy in the seventies. And actually, the first electric guitar I ever played was my uncle's Ibanez Destroyer, and it was killer. So that that you know sort of planted the seed that there's this company called Ibanez and they make great stuff. And uh, you know, and he had, before that he had had a Les Paul Custom. He was like, yeah, I traded that in because this is a better guitar. Yeah. So um, you know that that's that kind of left an impression on me. And then uh, when I at the time when I went with Ibanez, I also was fortunate enough to have a lot of different companies kind of romancing me as an endorser because I was starting to have a reputation with Racer X. And Ibanez was just really open to to new ideas where some of the more established companies were like, this is what we make. Mm-hmm. You know, you can use it, but we can't really do anything about this thing that we do. And Ibanez was like, hey, we'll make anything. You know, we're, we're, they had a real curiosity and willingness to expand. And that was that was exciting then and, and has been beneficial to me throughout the, the decades that I've been with them. You know, the guitar that I play now is really different than what I started with. And and I'm it's that's a, a testament to how flexible they are. It's not like, well, hey, you know, this is your signature model and you can't ever change from from what you did in nineteen eighty nine. They're like, sure, you know, we'll we'll have the custom shop make one, we'll see if you like it. And you know, there's you know, if you're a guitar player, there's there's to have a, you know, a, a pro custom shop willing to like, you know, build something that's your idea, and then it, you know, if it turns out to be something you love, they make it into production model. That's that's just a dream come true. Exactly. Uh, there's a comment from uh, Super Chat comment. Jam Face Jigglebelly says, thanks, Eric. Thank you, Paul. And a lot of people are uh, looking forward to having you back. So I'm going to extend the invitation to have you back anytime you like. And we'll work around your schedule as always, maybe towards the fourth quarter of the year. But, Paul, right you, you have been, um, I mean, this was a no-brainer that it was going to be a knowledgeable um, takeaway from you today. I mean, you are a huge inspiration. Uh, I know you you get inspired by the greats out there every day as well, too. But I just want you to know how much everyone here from this channel through the fans and the chat really, really respect you. Thank you for your contributions to our happiness, our, our guitar playing. Even if we're not guitar players, just what, loving what you do. Thank you so very, very much for, for all of us. I don't know. Thank you so much. There's Fantastic. A, 
Thank you. There's one more comment from Richard Henry. A super chat. Thank you. You guys are too kind. To says thanks for this tonight, guys. He's over in the uh, uh, the Ireland or U- the UK as well too. Thank you very much, guys. Paul, don't go away. I'm going to say goodbye to you off the air. Everyone, please ha- take a look at all the links down below. You can be part of the Pledge Music campaign for the Behold Electric Guitar coming up. There's all kinds of ways you can be in, re- basically involved. You're right there watching Paul do everything he does. Uh, look at his YouTube. Please subscribe to that. The Facebook pages, all that great stuff as well too. And until next time, be well, be nice to everybody, and we will see you soon. Cheers. Hey, EVH Gear TV and Eddie Van Halen fans. If you are like me, you find the time to read books difficult. Why not have it read to you? Grab one of three critically acclaimed Van Halen audiobooks like Van Halen Rising by Greg Renoff, Running with the Devil by Noel Monk, or Everybody Wants Some by Ian Christie, available right now from Audible. Sign up for a free trial with zero obligation to get any one of these three audiobooks today. You can cancel if you wish after your trial membership expires and keep the book. There are many other great titles to choose from as well. Links in the description below, but just remember audibletrial.com slash TV. Click the link below and go grab your first free audiobook. Thank you for listening to this edition of EVH and Gear TV. This episode is being brought to you in part by VanHalenStore.com. Shop VanHalenStore.com for the largest selection of official Van Halen merchandise and memorabilia. Be sure to check out our website at evhgeardiscussion.com for more updates and follow us on social media.